0: Today is the sixth message in a series of messages that we've been following, and this whole series is called The Good and Beautiful God. And a number of us have been reading a book by that same title. We've been looking at all these characteristics of God. What makes God good? What makes God beautiful? And today's matter is holiness. Today's message, God is holy. Now, there's several dilemmas when you start talking about God's holiness as a human being, as you think about it. Because first of all, when you think about God's holiness, you can be on one extreme and go, okay, holy God, that's, that's kind of way up there. And that, and that doesn't exist with any, any part of my world at all. So that's really hard for me to get. What do you mean God is holy? And then a whole another extreme is... Well, I'm so imperfect, and if God's holy, and, and I know myself, I'm really bad. I, ah, that's that's just a big drag that God's holy, and so th- that's another obstacle. And that that makes God is holy. How is this in any way good, or in any way beautiful, as a message for us? Like, how do we even how do we even access this idea that God is holy? And so where I'm going with this message is that yes, God is holy, and in God's holiness is our wholeness. That in God's holiness is our wholeness, our completeness. That's what we can find. Now, now to speak about God's holiness, sometimes culturally there is this negative connotation. You guys ever heard this term, holier than thou? Oh, that person, that is holier than thou. It's usually a negative thing that happens with religious people. It's like, oh, that person, they're, they're, it's, and it's so bad because it, it reflects kind of this sense of sort of there's an arrogance or there's, there's a judgmentalness that's connected with, uh, with being holy. And then there's also the problem of anybody. I call it the preacher's dilemma because here you have before you, yours truly, A very human person, a very imperfect person, someone who is not always bright and shiny, who sometimes forgets to shave in the morning, sometimes yells at their kids when they shouldn't, who's not very holy, yet here I'm supposed to be talking to you about God, who is holy. There's this famous inventor and painter, his name's Leonardo da Vinci. He ran into this problem as well. He's got this painting, it's called The Last Supper. Shows up all over the place in popular literature and culture, where he, writes this, he paints the scene of Jesus with his disciples. It's the disciples, the twelve there, and they're at the table, and Jesus is in the center. And he paints that whole, he paints that whole uh, painting... Pretty easily. But as the story goes, Da Vinci has this problem. He can't paint the face of Jesus. How do you paint a holy God? So he avoids it. He paints the other parts of the painting. He paints the other disciples. And he leaves it, and he leaves it, and he leaves it. How does he paint a holy God? And then finally, as the story goes... He just paints it. He paints it as quickly as he can. And he just, he lets it go. And he says, there's no use. I can't paint him. Today we're going to look at scripture. The prophet Isaiah. And he's in this same dilemma. What do I do with a holy God? How do I engage with a holy God? He's confronted with his own sense of inadequacy, his own lack of who he is as unholy in the context and in the presence of the holy. But he discovers that God is holy and that in God's holiness, his wholeness is also found. You can open up your Bibles if you've got them to Isaiah chapter 6. This is going to be reading verses 1 through 7. If you've got your Bibles, that's great. You can follow along. There's also another way that I invite you to listen to this passage today. And you can do this. I'd invite you to close your eyes and envision this passage out of Isaiah and see how you encounter the Holy God. We're going to talk about this a little bit. We're going to unpack this. So you can either follow along in your Bible, or you can close your eyes and picture this. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Amen. The date of this passage is about 735 BC, and we get that from the reference at the beginning, that the year that King Uzziah died. And what's going on here, and what God is giving to the prophet Isaiah, is he's giving... Isaiah a vision of assurance. He's giving Isaiah a vision of God's power and God's glory and God's holiness in a time of transition. Uzziah has been a good king over Judah. But in the year that King Uzziah dies, it means that a new king, a new leader is coming into the community. And anytime you have a new leader, There's always uncertainty. You never know who the new leader is going to be. You never know what kind of person this is going to be. You don't know if we're headed for prosperity or towards ruin. And in that transition and in that uncertainty, God gives to Isaiah this passage. Is the new king going to be good? You don't know that. But you know that God is good. You know that God is holy. And that's the picture. And that's the assurance. God's power and presence and holiness is present here. You see that God, the original picture, is high and lifted up. He's exalted in the temple. He's just up there. And that evokes all of these images of holiness. Holiness, by its definition, means separated. It means pure. It means unmixed. You get this picture of God being high and holy. You think, okay, God is good. He will provide. He will be the one that will lead us. We are led by a holy God. It's in the place of worship. It's in the temple. The holiest place there for the people is the temple. And their God is present. So you get, even in the context of this incredible image, this holy God who is in this holy place, lifted up and separate. It says that he's surrounded by the seraphim. What that literally means seraph, seraphim, it means literally burning ones. This is the only place in Scripture where seraphim are actually identified as heavenly beings. Other parts of scripture talk about angels, archangels. But here, seraph, burning one, and seraphim, literally the burning ones, are all around this holy temple, all around this holy God, who himself is holy, separated, unmixed, undefiled, and high, above everyone, And these seraphim, what are they doing? What is the image? They, though are burning, though they are bright, they are covering themselves. It's a sign of humility. They're covering parts of themselves in humility. Imagine, if you will, it's like you're coming before a king. You're coming before royalty, someone who is filled with honor. And what do you do? What's the posture? You come in with your head bowed, your head low, you're covered. You're coming down this way. So here you have this picture of these heavenly, burning, bright beings coming in humility into the greater brightness and the greater glory of God who is lifted up in the temple. And then they give this tripartite declaration. Holy, 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 Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Three times they pronounce this holiness of God. It's this hymn of praise. God is holy, holy, holy. Some of you might know that hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. That's where that that tripartite declaration of God's goodness. But this isn't the only place we see this in Scripture. We also see this. At Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it's the same scene. You see angelic beings and you hear this threefold declaration. Picture this, Revelation chapter four. I'm gonna read this for you. And picture the similarity of the scene, the one in the temple in Isaiah and then this scene in Revelation in heaven. It's around the throne of God. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Revelation chapter 4. And we have our passage, Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Yes, God is holy. Yes, God is pure. Yes, God is separated. But that's not the end of the story. It goes on. That God's holiness and purity then does not result in our judgment, in negative judgment. Yes, holiness creates clarity about sin. I mean, that's what Isaiah dealt with. Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm an unclean man living among a people of unclean lips. But then everything in the Isaiah scene moves not to Isaiah's judgment, but it moves to Isaiah's forgiveness and his wholeness. Everything is drawn from God's holiness into Isaiah's forgiveness, into his wholeness as a person. Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In the midst of holiness, and in the midst of a holy God, Isaiah is painfully aware of his inadequacy. He's painfully aware of that. But then one of the burning ones comes to him one of the burning ones flies to him with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar. This burning, bright thing. And he touches Isaiah's mouth. And then he says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. The NASB, the New American Standard Bible, simply says, Your sins are forgiven. In the presence of God's holiness and purity, there's the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ was called the Holy One of God. And when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, you see this forgiveness all the time. It was Jesus Christ who was making people clean, making people whole, even as he was the Holy One of God. Now to really understand what Jesus was doing and how profound Jesus was making people clean, I have to give you a little understanding of what was happening around Jesus in the first century and in his culture and this idea of something called ritual purity. Ritual purity. There's a pretty famous story that Jesus tells and it's called the Good Samaritan. And to summarize, it's about a guy who's going down the road, and he gets beat up by robbers, and then he's bleeding, and then he's, he's just laying on the side of the road. Now, in first century Jewish culture, what was really important was to keep yourself pure. Because when you were pure, then you were allowed to participate in Jewish culture, and particularly in the worship. You had to be ritually clean in order to worship and be part of that worshiping community. What made you unclean? Bodily fluid. Particularly something like blood. So in the story that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan, you've got this guy beaten up by robbers and he's bleeding on the side of the road. And then as the story goes, you have these two religious people that walk by. You have a Levi that walks by and then you have a priest that walks by. And both of them don't help the guy who's bleeding. They don't help him. Why? Because of ritual purity. How are you made clean? It's pretty intensive and, and, and laborious. You can't just clean yourself with normal water. You have to clean yourself with undrawn water, which means that you have to find a lake or a river to wash off the blood. Before you can then be ritually clean, ritually pure, and then worship in the temple. So what happens in the story of the Good Samaritan, you got a guy beaten up on the side of the road. You understand, if you were a first century Jewish person, that of course you wouldn't want to make yourself ritually impure. So you would walk by on the other side. So that you wouldn't touch this guy's blood. Because it is such a, 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 it's such a lot of work to become ritually pure. That's what's going on there. In in another scene in the life of Jesus, he's walking along, complete crowds all surrounding him. And there's a woman. And the passage says in Luke chapter 8 that she has been suffering from hemorrhages. For 12 years, this woman has been suffering from blood flow as the crowd is all pressing around Jesus and Jesus is walking, she reaches through the crowd and touches him. And she's made clean. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the woman comes before and says, I touched you. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Jesus has made this woman healed and whole. But in the first century context, anyone who has any contact with someone who's got like blood like this would be ritually unclean. But this is the thing about Jesus. The woman did not make Jesus unclean the way that the priest and the Levi would be afraid that the man on the road would make them unclean. Instead, the Holy One of God, Jesus, makes the woman clean. When you read the life of Jesus and Jesus spending time with sinners and tax collectors, Jesus is not made unclean by them. It's that these people are made clean by the Holy One of God. That's the great reversal that happens in Jesus Christ. It's not that people make him unclean. It's that he makes people clean. So what I loved about even Pastor Ali's message from last week when he was talking about the woman who lost the coin, the sheep who was lost, and then the prodigal son, talking about God's love. The whole context of that message was that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. And then people would say, man, Jesus is eating with all these unclean people. They go, man, he must be unclean. But that's not true. Jesus is able to make people who are unclean, clean. And why is he able to do that? Because he is the Holy One. The Holy One of God. I'm going to tell you a story. This Saturday... The City Team group from GRX is going to go out. You're going know, to partner with City Team Ministries. And that's a ministry in San Jose that works with homeless people. They have a residential program, but they also uh, feed homeless people. And they come on Saturdays. And we have the privilege as a church of partnering with them. So grateful for Winfred and Jeff and Sarah and the team that are, that are leading that. It gives us an opportunity to love people and to connect with people, homeless people, in Jesus' name, and to serve people. One of the things that we do when we go out is not only just serve the food, but we try to connect with homeless people by listening to their story, by talking with them, and even sometimes by praying with them. Now, we, uh, a, a couple of times back, uh, we had someone with our GRX team, and she was pretty new to working with homeless people. But I love that she came out. She was so courageous. Because, you know, let's face it, sometimes working with homeless people can feel a little scary. Uh, you don't quite know what they're going to do. Um, and to be honest, sometimes homeless people, they, they smell. They're, un, they're unclean. They feel a little bit dirty to us. And this woman, you know, she is she, you know, She's just like you know, she's just like you and me. She, um, you know, she's clean and you know, she showers regularly and she wears makeup and stuff like that. And okay, well, I don't wear makeup, but she, you know, she's like us. She does that. And she's like, I don't, I don't know how this is going to be. And We say, okay, well, well and so she, what she did was she said, well, there's a lot of men that come, but well, I'm going to pray that, uh, that, it'll be a woman, that that it'll be a woman. That that'll be a woman that comes. And that God will lead me to her, and we'll be able to, you know, maybe talk. And so we all get there, and yeah, there are a couple of women that show up. There are a lot of men, but there's some women. And so she goes over to one of these women, and she begins talking to them. But she can also begin to, um, she can also smell this woman. And she can also see that this woman hasn't showered in a long time. She's probably sleeping out on the street, probably not not very clean. But as they're talking, and as the woman from our GRX team is creating this space to listen, to hear her story, and to engage and share in humanity, the woman begins to open up and tell her own story about her daughter, about her own struggles, about drug addiction, about just pain in her life. And the woman from our GRX team just gets to hear this and minister to this woman and humanize this woman by listening to the story, engaging. And it's a holy moment. And then at the end, homeless woman asks, hey, can we pray together? And then the woman from our team wants to pray, but then she's in a dilemma. The homeless woman extends her hands, And the woman from our team looks down and looks and her hands aren't clean. She doesn't want to grab her hands. So what she does is she grabs her wrists. It's a little cleaner. And then they begin to pray. And tears start coming down. The woman is weeping and God is just blessing her and ministering to her. And then they say amen And the woman who's homeless just reaches out and just grabs the woman on our team. Just embraces her with this bear hug. And the woman on our team is completely stiff. (laughs) And she's thinking, I hope this other woman doesn't sense how stiff I am. And in the same moment she's thinking that, she also had this word from God. And her word from God was, it's not what's on the outside of a person that makes them unclean. God sees the heart. God sees the human heart. And it's the holy God. He is the one who can see our heart and is able to make us clean. He is the one that can do it. If you were going to be standing in the presence of a holy God, like Isaiah, what do you think would come up for you? The Lord in the temple, high and lifted up, smoke the train of the Lord filling the temple, these bright ones flying around saying, holy, holy, holy God. I wonder if the response would be the same. I wonder if we would be a lot like Isaiah, saying, I am a man or a woman of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. And I wonder if we would be a people too who would need the hope of forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if for you, as we are in the presence of God who is holy, if there is something in your life where you feel like, I just need to bring this out before God, this time of prayer is going to be an opportunity for you to do that. Do that in your heart between you and God. You can borrow the words that I'm going to pray if you need to pray those words. But if you feel like there's something in your life that you feel like, I need to bring this to God, then you can go ahead and do that. You know, as a staff right now, we're reading a book by a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer looks at a lot of different stuff going on. But Bonhoeffer makes this critical statement. He says that man, and I'd say that women, men and women, but Bonhoeffer says man is destroyed only by his sin and can be healed only by forgiveness. If you feel like there's something in your life, it might be a sin, maybe a sin of addiction, judgmentalism, Maybe there's a critical spirit that's dragging you down. Maybe there's, you, you struggle with greed or lust, something that's just destroying your life, eating away at you. This is going to be an opportunity to bring that before God and release that to God in the presence of our holy God so that we might have forgiveness, that we might have wholeness, that we might be released and live in all that God wants us to live into. So let me invite you to pray with me right now. Let me lead us in a time of prayer. Let me invite you as you close your eyes and bow your head that we are in the presence of a holy God who is perfect, who is lifted up, who is pure, and who loves you. Holy God, we come confessing to you that even as we follow you, we often live in direct contrast to who you are. You are light, and yet we cling sometimes, God, to darkness. You are pure, yet we live with impurity. God, you are true, but sometimes we live in lies. God, you are grace, but sometimes we stand in judgment over other people. God, you are love, yet we sometimes find reasons to be completely unloving. God, you provide for us, and yet sometimes we still live in greed. God, you have given everything to us, and yet sometimes we still give ourselves to other things. And other addictions. God, you know our heart. If we would stand in your presence, you, God, would see the darkness in us. But, God, thank you that no darkness is too great for you. Thank you, God, that no uncleanliness in our lives and in our past is too great for you to make us clean.